Friends of Christ. I wonder how many of you remember that book entitled, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. It's kind of a humorous, fun book, and I'd like to start this morning with a corollary that goes something like this. All I really know about sheep, I learned in Sunday school and seminary. I never really met sheep. And the one thing that I learned is they are not warm and cuddly and fun. This despite that great VBS song by Brian Howard, I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. Don't want to be a goat, nope, they got no hope. Don't want to be a hypocrite, they're not hip, just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. But they're not warm and cuddly. No, frankly, they're dumb and dirty and disorganized. And to make matters worse, if you are here, you are a sheep. You were baptized into his fold. That's what our gospel lesson is all about, right? Sheep and shepherd. Actually, sheep and shepherding is a very extended biblical metaphor. And the main point, the focal point, is almost always the shepherd. Whether we're talking about the kings of Israel in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, or the king of Israel who laments in Ezekiel 34, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. From our perspective, though, it's all about the sheep, right? I mean, because that's who we are. So I'd like to talk about the flock, at least to start this morning. And I did a little fiddling around with your text. I divided it into three paragraphs, the gospel lesson, to match the Greek text, because there are three separate things we need to talk about. And the first paragraph pictures the flock under fire. Well, not literally, but figuratively, spiritually in distress. The paragraph is a great example of a literary technique known as a chiasm. The word comes from the Greek letter chi, which looks like our X. And the meaning is the shape of the letter. It means to cross. A then B, followed by B then A. If there are more than two elements, as in the case in our text, then it's progression to the center, and then the opposite order back out. And generally, with chiasms, the most important element is at the center, the focal point. Well, the center here is wolf, and definitely not one in sheep's clothing. He sees the wolf coming, and the wolf snatches and scatters. Before and after the wolf, we have the hired hand. He takes one look at the wolf, I'm out of here. And then on either side of the hired hand, we have the good shepherd. But we're the sheep, remember? And the core, the important thing, the element that we're really worried about is the snatching and snapping of the wolf's jaws. That's Satan. Peter shifts the metaphor slightly, but really captures its meaning well when he writes, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan knows time is limited. The end is almost here. It's important as we start off to identify what exactly this paragraph is not. It's not an evangelism text. It's not about bringing more sheep into the flock. It's not an eschatological or an end times paragraph. It doesn't matter how many sheep are lost. We have Jesus' promise that his church, his flock will survive. After Peter's great confession in Matthew 16, he declared, You are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This paragraph is also not about justification. You were baptized into this flock, into the sheepfold, which is the church with a capital C. Really, this paragraph is a paragraph about sanctification. It's a description of my life and your life in the struggle of sin and grace, law and gospel, darkness and light. It calls us to recognize who our adversary is. It's more than a metaphorical wolf or a lion. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're called to recognize and to confess our failures. And confessing that, to trust the one who laid down his life for the sheep. The outside brackets of our chiasm, the good shepherd, but more on that later. The center of this grammatical figure is the wolf, Satan. Either side of Satan stands and then runs the hired hand. Notice how Jesus describes him. He is not a shepherd. Well, why not? Well, he doesn't own the sheep. The text actually implies something more than just financial ownership of livestock. They are literally not his own. It's an intimacy that goes beyond their mere dollar value. And that lack of intimacy is evident in the text. He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So who is this guy? Well, Gregory the Great, a fifth century church father, once commented, that person is a hireling who holds the place of shepherd, but does not seek the profit of souls. He is eager for earthly advantages, rejoices in the honor of preferment, feeds on temporal gain, and enjoys the deference offered to him by other people. Close quote. The ranks of false shepherd or hireling abound today, from the basest appeal to pay forward a blessing to more subtle errors of doctrine, of heresy that finally rob one of salvation. The dangers are very real. So it falls to the true under-shepherds to warn and to teach, which is why our confessions insist that, quote, no one should teach publicly in the church or administer the sacraments unless properly called. Bracketing all of this is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a Good Friday paragraph. We sang in our sermon hymn, Thou hast bought us, thine we are. Or as we learned in our small catechism, He has purchased and won me, a lost and condemned person. From all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with His holy precious blood and His innocent suffering and death. By His death, you are redeemed, now and forever. The closing bracket... I am the Good Shepherd, opens the second paragraph of the text. And it is an evangelism text. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Briefly, two foundational ideas here. First, entrance into the flock is grounded in knowledge. I know my own, and my own know me. It's a reciprocal knowledge. Sheep to shepherd, 
just as the Son knows the Father and the Father the Son. In and through this sheep-shepherd, son-father relationship, we are brought into relationship with God so that we might be called the children of God, members of the Father's house. Even as Isaiah declared, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Whom Yahweh has given me. This is the second idea in the paragraph. The work of evangelism is God's work. I must bring them also, are Jesus' words. And he will bring this to pass through words. Those words may very well be on human lips, as Paul suggests. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Or how are they to hear without preaching, and preaching if none is sent? The answer to this string of rhetorical questions is simply three Old Testament citations. Through the word, the Holy Spirit can and does work faith. Ultimately, the words contained in God's command and combined with the water of baptism, which declares, you are mine. Today, you are part of my flock. One flock, under one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Finally, though, the sheep metaphor, or shepherd metaphor, has a challenge, a tension at its core that is simply this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We saw it in the hired hand. If it's a question between my life and the sheep's life, I'm out of here. And what happens? The wolf seizes the sheep. Some he kills for dinner. Some he wounds. All he scatters. The good shepherd dies in defense of the sheep. But he died. And the sheep are helpless. If Good Friday is the end, it is in no way good. Which is why the third paragraph is so beautiful. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is Easter. This is resurrection. This is hope. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Notice the little word authority. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Older translations have the word power here. I have the power to do this. But the root of the word really means it is free. What Jesus claims that he is completely free to lay his life down and completely free to take it up again. And in that freedom, he chooses to obey the charge given to him by his Father and do both. Both to atone for your sin and mine, that's Good Friday, and to rise again, destroying death's grip. That's Easter. So what does this mean for us? today. Well, first it means that the new creation has begun through and in Jesus. In Paul's great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, he answers those who say there is no resurrection. If that's the case, he reasons, then Christ didn't rise either. And even worse, we're still in our sin and our faith is in vain. And if this is our hope, we are the most pitiful creatures walking the face of the earth. But in fact, Paul declares, just as Peter and John did in the tabernacle. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. In the Gospels, we hear about the inbreaking of the reign and rule of heaven. We see 
about in the healed limbs and the calm seas. In the resurrection, we can speak of the inbreathing of that same kingdom, eternal flesh and blood breathing. The glorified body, the resurrected body of Jesus is our first glimpse at our own resurrection state when mortality will put on immortality. Until then, Jesus lives and reigns as our high priest. As the writer to the Hebrews encourages us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul describes him as our intercessor at the right hand of God in Romans 8. Baptized into Jesus' death and his resurrection, we can receive his blessings in word and sacrament. Peter wonderfully summarized all this when he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Which brings us back to sheep, you and me, living in among the flock. We have a good shepherd. And he defeated the wolf. He defeated Satan in a strange and glorious way. He died in our place. And in that death, he gathers sheep from every nation and tongue, every color and ability, without regard for honor or worth or any other human measure. He alone has the authority to do this because he arose. Our living and eternally risen shepherd with scars in his hands to prove it lifts us out of the font into eternal life. Yes, I want to be a sheep. Bah, 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 bah. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, that I, a child of God, may live to his glory. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.